Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Hi, everybody. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Do you mind if I take a second to just clear up one simple thing real quick? I've been called a lot of things since I've come to this church. I've been called Gina. I've been called fake Gina. But most of all, I've been called the other sister. And this is how it usually happens. I'll be standing in the lobby, and some very warm and friendly person will come up to me and start sharing a very heartfelt story about something personal that's going on in their life. About a minute into the conversation, I see this funny but familiar look come over their face, and they go, you're not Gina, are you? And I say, no, I'm not. And then, of course, there are many of you know, who know exactly the difference between us, and some of you have been kind enough to share every detail about the differences in our features, and let me tell you, that's been fun for me. So I thought I'd have a little fun with you. For those of you who are kind of expert on telling us apart, I brought a couple pictures from when we really looked alike, and I want you to find Gina. So here's the first one. Which one is she? She's on the left. Let's see the next one. She's on the left. It must have been her side. <laughs> now, if you're really good at this, here's this next one. See if you can tell us apart. Just kidding. Now, we're talking about shame today, and actually my first shame story, my big shame moment came when I was, um, it was surrounding the twin issue. When Gina and I were preschoolers, we looked very, very much alike, but when I got to be at six or seven years old, I started gaining weight, and for about four years, I suffered with childhood obesity. So the big shame moment came on a day that I had been looking forward to for a long time. We were going to get big kid bikes. And so we'd been looking forward to it. I knew exactly what kind of bike I wanted. I wanted the, the high handlebars, the banana seat. I wanted the little streamers hanging down. I don't think I ever got that. It's a big, deep hurt in my heart. So I still remember the color of these bicycles. So I remember going into the store with my sister and some adults and looking at all the beautiful bikes. And the salesperson realized that, he were, that we were twins, and he turned to me and he said, you look like you eat off of your sister's plate. <laughs> and I was mortified. And being the champion of giving good, dirty looks, I was proficient at a young age, and I gave him my best one. And he immediately realized that he had said the wrong thing, and he backpedaled on it. So as we were walking out to the parking lot, a very well-meaning adult said to me in an effort to comfort me, you know, that's just what's going to happen when you're overweight. And that, that impacted me because it was the first time that I ever had the thought that somebody could treat me poorly and it was because something flawed about me. And that's shame. 
And so we're talking about don't feed the wildlife today. And I have to admit to you, I'm from Chicago. I have no idea about wildlife. I will tell you that I have plenty of experience with dogs, cats, and bugs, all right? And so shame is like a bug. It kind of lurks around hiding in dark places until you turn the lights on. And when you turn those lights on, all the bugs scatter, right? So that's all we're going to do with shame today is we're going to just shed a little light on the subject and let it scatter right on out of your space, okay? Now you might say, I don't know if I really deal with shame. Okay, but maybe somebody you love does. Have you ever said or thought the following? I would love to learn how to blank, play a new sport, take up a class, try out for a team, but I don't want to be humiliated. I won't do anything I'm not good at. How about this one? Oh, I need to get to the gym, but I don't want people to see how out of shape I am. How about this next one? I'm not blank enough. Smart, athletic, popular, successful. You fill in your own blank. Or how about this one? No one could love me because I'm too bad, broken, ugly, worthless. Guys, shame stinks. You know, God wanted us to let our light shine so that he could be glorified. And when we have shame in our lives, it really shuts that down. So if there's one thing I'd like us all to remember today, it's don't play the shame game. You know, in order to understand shame, we have to look at it um, from a mental perspective. Sure, there might be things that happen to you that make you feel certain ways, but shame is a battle of the mind. It's a battle between my ideal self, all those expectations, standards, goals, rules for we have our, you know, that we have for ourselves, or the me I think I'm stuck with, okay? And so it's a little bit different from guilt. Sometimes we wonder, well, is shame guilt? Well, shame, first of all, is a very, very painful emotion. Shame is such a strong and intense feeling that it's actually more intense than either happiness or anger. And we think, oh, anger is just such a strong, intense thing, right? I wouldn't think there's anything stronger than that. But shame is so intense that we'll do anything as human beings not to feel it. And so sometimes we'll do destructive things. But shame is different than guilt because guilt says, what I did was wrong. I don't like it. It was bad. Shame says, I'm bad. I don't like me. And so guilt can be actually a positive thing in our lives, a little bit of guilt, and this is why. Say I do something to someone that I realized later wasn't good, it didn't have a good effect on them. Guilt motivates me to move toward people that I care about in my life and make things right and fix things. Shame, on the other hand, because it's attacking my identity, 
It causes me to shrink away from people and to hide and to isolate. Now, I have a little story about shame. It has to do with my boys. I have three adult sons. My first son was almost perfect, so that's all I'm going to say about him. <laughs> but my other two sons, they had their shining moments, and then they had their less than glorious moments. This is Daniel and Ryan at their cute, adorable ages of about three and a half, I think. And Daniel, one time, was playing in the bathtub. He had a grand setup going on. He had his bubbles, he had his toys, he was having a good old time, and I'm just kind of sitting in there waiting. And after a few minutes, he goes, Mom, here, do something with this. And I looked over, and there was his hand outstretched with a big old poop in it. <laughs> and I think that's a perfect illustration of guilt. We all have poopy things in our lives that we just want to deal with and get rid of. Ryan, on the other hand, was more shame-prone. Now, some personalities can be a little more shame-prone, and that is when you look at life through a distorted filter or lens of I am bad. Now, I'm not saying Ryan, you know, always was like that, but, you know, at age three, there was some of that going on. And so when Ryan was little, he could be humiliated very easily. In fact, one time his Aunt Gina tried to give him a yellow cup. Now, in Ryan's mind, yellow was a girl's color. So he put his head down, and he talked between his teeth, and he said, I'm not drinking from a yellow cup. And so she had to find him a blue or green cup. When I was a young mom, I had a hobby. And in one of the bedrooms of my house, I had an easel and some paper. And I used to do portraits. And every portrait took 50 hours for me to complete. It was painstaking work, but I loved it. It got my mind off, you know, whatever stresses were going on. And so I was working on the portrait of all portraits. There were three faces on this portrait. And so I'd go do a little work, and then another day, you know, go back in. Well, one day I walk into this room and I look at my portrait and an entire face is missing. And being the very logical, composed person that I am, I burst out into tears. Now, the offending party was nearby and he also burst out into tears. And out of his mouth came these words, I wish I were never born. That is shame. Shame comes from a lot of different triggers. One of the important ones is a feeling of being different or broken. And this affects a lot of us. We could feel this way because of a health problem or a mental health problem. We can feel this way because of an addiction, alcohol or drugs having been victimized by abuse, domestic problems, divorce, financial problems, the list goes on, age, race, gender. All of these things can make us feel different, broken. And you know, Brene Brown, a researcher, said this statement, and I love it. The experiences that make us feel most alone 
are universal. Guys, we all have our stuff. We all have our struggles, and that unites us, that makes us like one another, not different. Another shame trigger, uh, trigger is I'm not respected. Have you ever felt looked down upon? A big one is I'm flawed or I feel exposed to other people. And this always goes hand in hand with the fear that people will abandon you or reject you if they really knew what was going on in your life. If people really knew me, they wouldn't want to be my friend, that type of thing. Let's watch this clip. Is there anybody here can tell me where happiness comes from? No. Anyone? All right, let's hear what Mama has to say on the subject. Mama say that happiness is from magic rays of sunshine that come down when you're feeling blue. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, Mama's wrong again. <laughs> no kind of saying this, you're wrong. Mama's right. Now, as far as I can recollect, I've never knocked anyone over, but I've felt just the way he's felt plenty of times. There's another aspect of shame that I think that we as Americans don't always understand, but I think it's worth mentioning today especially as it has to do with Christianity. We're a guilt-innocence culture, but many other cultures are an honor-shame culture. In his book, The 3D Gospel, Jason Georges tries to give us a window of what it's like to live in a shame-honor culture. He said there's a Thai word for shame, and it's to rip someone's face off, such as that they appear ugly before others. He was talking about the uh, Boston Marathon bombing, and he said this, and I quote, In the wake of the tragic Boston Marathon bombing in 2013, the media found the suspect's uncle. On public television, the uncle denounced his nephews you put a shame on our entire family, and you put a shame on the entire ethnicity. Everyone now puts that shame on the entire ethnicity. As Americans roiled from the tragedy of loss, the Chechen uncle bemoaned his people's shame. One of my future daughter-in-laws, Tara, lived in Egypt and experienced firsthand what it's like, the fear, the anxiety, to be a family in a shame-based culture. She made this statement. At birth, a female has the most honor that she will ever experience in her whole life. And throughout her entire lifetime, it is the family's duty to protect that honor. For to experience shame in that culture 
would mean that they would be ostracized and shunned. Tara lives, lived in an apartment complex at that time, and there was a situation one day where an adult brother and sister were having a conflict. And it became immediately apparent that there was something pretty serious going on. The brother was beating the sister, and Tara, being a nurse, realized that, that this was not just a small conflict. And so she went out of her door to see what was happening. And another young lady said, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay because this girl was being disrespectful with her brother and mouthing off. You see, in a shame culture, the duty to protect or not give the wrong appearance is on sometimes the victim. So if a young woman perhaps is going to go off to college, she'll overcover so as not to look promiscuous. If she's in a marketplace where there are young men, she won't talk or laugh or smile too much because she doesn't want to appear promiscuous. If a female is victimized by sexual assault, oftentimes her family will kind of rush her off and hurry her away into the country so that the shame will diminish. So this is a pretty serious thing. And the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God gives us an answer to shame and dishonor in the gospel. That he brings us into a place of honor and our identity is no longer broken. And so he is the answer to shame. I think the biggest problem with shame is that it really blinds us to the real us. If we only knew how God viewed you and me, we'd have much less problem with shame in our lives. Ephesians 1.4 in the Living Bible says it so beautifully. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered with his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. In Christ, we have total acceptance, belonging, and love. So don't play the shame game. I want to talk to you about how shame is used on us and by us as a weapon. It's so prevalent in our culture that we don't realize sometimes that we're not only the shamed, but sometimes we're the shamer. One of the ways we use shame as a weapon is to try to shame other people into conforming or to changing. I want someone to change and act better toward me. I don't know why we do this. It's not very effective. There was a Texas judge, and he liked to use shame and humiliation as a way to try to reform the people that he was sentencing. He was sensing, uh, sensing uh, how do you say that word? Sense, sentencing. Two wife batterers. And he decided that part of their punishment would be to make them stand in the courthouse square 
at lunchtime when there were hundreds of people and to confess what they did to their wives and to make a public apology. He said, and I quote, let them feel the sting of the community's intolerance. Hear their names on our lips and pay the price in full view of the public. Wow. I mean, I guess that sounds okay unless it's happening to you. How many of you would like your worst faults brought up in front of everybody? I love this quote from author Harriet Lerner. We cannot survive when our identity is defined by or limited to our worst behavior. Every human being must be able to see the self as complex and multidimensional. In other words, all of us have good and bad. When this fact is obscured, people will wrap themselves in layers of denial in order to survive. And I love this statement. How can we apologize for something we are rather than something we did? For people to look squarely at their harmful actions and to become genuinely accountable, they must have a platform of self-worth to stand. Only from the vantage point of higher ground can people who commit harm gain perspective, can they apologize. And if you really think about it, that's exactly what God does in Jesus Christ. He gives us a new, clean identity, an identity that is like him, and then he allows the behavior changes to follow. Another weapon that we use is to try to get people to conform to our ideas through shame. I remember when I was 40 years old and I went back to college, I was sitting in a classroom with mostly 20-year-olds, and the college professor used to make these outrageous political and religious statements, and he would pre present them as fact. And he would make us feel that if we disagreed with him, we were either ignorant or intolerant. But I want to ask you a question. We have a room full of people here, and I would say that most of us agree on many things, but there are no two of us that agree 100% on everything. I don't even agree with myself on everything. <laughs> how many of you can look back maybe five or 10 years ago and see how you've grown and changed? So shaming people into conformity, it just doesn't work. We shame people when we label them or we stereotype them. We have our own mental list of who the winners and losers are. Who's the in crowd, who's the out crowd, who the good folks and the bad folks are, right? There was an 11-year-old boy. Around that time of his life, his father died in a tragic car accident. And life took a really bad turn for this kid. Throughout his teen years, he got hooked on alcohol and drugs. By the time he was in his early 20s, he was dealing cocaine, and he ended up in prison for trafficking. Later in his life, though, he turned his life around, and he married, he had children. He even became 
a very popular TV and movie star and an author. His name is Tim Allen. What if Tim Allen would have let all those shameful things he did stop him from becoming the me that he would eventually become? We shame by criticizing and being judgmental of people. There was a 22-year-old young lady. She made the mistake of having an affair with her boss. Because her boss was a very high-profile figure, the news went public and it created a firestorm. 20 hours of private taped phone conversations were made available online and on, on television as well. The shame almost killed her. Her name was Monica Lewinsky, and her boss was the President of the United States, Bill Clinton. I'd like to have her tell you in her own words what it's like for people who go through public humiliation and shaming. I was on the phone with my mom in September of 2010, and we were talking about the news of a young college freshman from Rutgers University named Tyler Clementi. Sweet, sensitive, creative Tyler was secretly webcammed by his roommate while being intimate with another man. When the online world learned of this incident, the ridicule and cyberbullying ignited. A few days later, Tyler jumped from the George Washington Bridge to his death. He was 18. My mom was beside herself about what happened to Tyler and his family, and she was gutted with pain in a way that I just couldn't quite understand. And then eventually I realized she was reliving 1998 reliving a time when she sat by my bed every night. Rel Sorry. Reliving a time when she made me shower with the bathroom door open. And reliving a time when both of my parents feared that I would be humiliated to death, literally. When I watched that clip, I realize just how we sometimes treat people and forget the fact that they're human beings. And I wonder what would Jesus have said to Monica or Tyler. In John chapter 8, there was a similar situation. Jesus was teaching in the temple, and some Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery to him. They were trying to test him, and they said, the law says that you should stone this woman. What do you say? In verse 8, we pick up the story. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I wonder how it would impact our community if we as Christians began to treat people the way Jesus did. I'd like to end with this thought. If we buy into shame, we may very well stay trapped in a false and futile existence. But if we grab hold of what God's word says about us, we will begin to experience the true and powerful identity that he's given to us. Would you please bow your heads? I would like to pray with you. Dear Lord, I pray that as shame is cast out of its hiding place today, as the light of your word is shined upon it, I pray that the places where shame has been holding us back and keeping us down would begin to be removed and lose their power. And I pray that the ways that we use shame as a weapon toward other people will begin to change and we will replace that with the love of Christ and the grace and truth of Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.